Introduction. The first nine chapters of this book are designed to give readers who have no special training in the Bible a clear idea of God's grand program for every one of us. God's design for you and for humanity is to grant immortality to those who love and obey him. God's program is for all who pay attention to what he has said. In the scriptures, God spoke through a variety of different prophets and finally in his uniquely born son, Jesus. See Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God intends to grant endless life to believers in Jesus, the Messiah, and the coming kingdom. I believe that the kingdom of God is the answer to the great puzzle of life. It was the core of everything Jesus taught. It is the Christian gospel. Jesus preached the kingdom as gospel always. In fact, all of the Bible is concentrated on one major theme, the coming kingdom. The Bible is a single drama in two parts, the Old Testament and the New. The Christian gospel is called the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to repeat this basic fact many times because the public seems not to know what Jesus preached about. Ask your friends, what is the gospel? And see if they mention the kingdom of God. If they do not, ask them how the gospel can have any other foundation than the gospel preached by Jesus. You can verify the facts about the Christian gospel for yourself very easily by reading the New Testament, starting, of course, with the teaching of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke. John uses other language to say the same thing. And there is lots of background information about the gospel of the kingdom in the Old Testament. Paul said that the gospel is based on the promises in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Any translation of the Bible available to you will give you the necessary information on what the gospel is. But don't make the mistake of not starting with Jesus. The Bible contains a thrilling story, an amazing drama, and it promises a wonderful outcome for our world. At the same time, it threatens those who do not pay attention to Jesus and his aims and claims with a tragic future. God expects us to listen to what he has to say to us through his agent, his son, Jesus. He gives us a choice. The son laid before us two possible destinies, life forever or death, extinction. The gospel is both a promise and a menace, a threat. Everything hinges on our willing response to the gospel of the kingdom as announced by Jesus and later by the apostles. The first nine chapters of this book refer to, or quote, a number of fundamentally important Bible verses. You would not need to have your own Bible to follow what I've written. If you do have a Bible, any version will confirm the story unfolded here. 
The Revised Standard Version, or New Revised Standard Version, or New American Standard Bible, are generally very reliable and easy to read versions. I would suggest not reading the King James Version unless that is all you have. My reason is that you do not speak English the way the King James Version is translated in 1611. Though it was in its time an accurate translation, its language puts up a kind of barrier between you and the vitally important words of Scripture. But if the King James is your favorite Bible, that's fine. The Gospel of the Kingdom is clear even when it comes to you in Old English. You should treat yourself to a modern translation also, if possible. It is essential for the reader to note that I am inventing no new teachings here. Everything I've written has appeared in scholarly literature, in commentary on the Bible. But the public knows little about that literature, and some scholars have a poor record of actually believing what they know the Bible says. They often report well what they find, but they do not get very excited about us actually believing it or proclaiming it to others as essential information for learning the meaning of life. I'm asking you to think hard about what you may have learned about the Gospel. Have you accepted, without careful thinking and analysis, a Gospel which is missing vital ingredients? Do you realize that Jesus is the one we must listen to above all, and his teaching is summarized in the caption, Kingdom of God? That last statement is so obvious in our Christian documents, the New Testament, and its background in the Old, that a child with a basic reading ability could discover it easily. What I'm suggesting is that churches do not do a good job of relaying the gospel as Jesus preached it, the gospel about the kingdom of God. I've attempted to explain those areas in which what we learn in church departs radically from some of the plainest and most emphasized teachings of Jesus and his apostles. I can only ask the reader to read with an open mind. These first nine chapters are written in fairly simple English. The sentences are generally not long or complicated. Part two of the book contains seven guide lessons on the kingdom of God. In these seven lessons, there's a deliberate overlap and repetition of material in the first nine easier chapters. The guide lessons add more confirmation from outside authorities and more biblical detail about the kingdom of God gospel as preached by Jesus. They are a supplement to the first nine chapters. There is frequent repetition of basic Bible verses. The style is deliberately a little more complex, but well within the reach of the average reader. The guide lessons offer more evidence about the gospel for the inquiring reader. They will help you to understand God's gracious offer of immortality, for all believers in the gospel of his son, Jesus. They will assist you to develop your own presentation of the gospel of the kingdom. Readers will have opportunities for passing on what they learn in different settings, formal or less formal. 
Yes, the message of Jesus explains how each of us can achieve immortality. That's why the Bible is by far the most precious document in the world. It's a priceless treasure. It has often been terribly obscured by church tradition. Finally, I have added some appendices with a list of biblical texts about death and resurrection and further confirmation from many experts of some of the main foundations of the kingdom gospel of Jesus, as I'm convinced he meant it to be understood and acted on. Readers are asked to deal thoughtfully, analytically, and prayerfully. The Berean approach, Acts 17 verse 11, is always the right one. Ask questions of others, read with a passion to get at the truth of Scripture, and be prepared to share with others what you find, once you are certain of it. Quotations of the Bible are from various translations, and I've translated the Greek and Hebrew myself occasionally. On the whole, there's nothing controversial at stake here. Many modern translations convey the central concerns of Jesus quite well. But beware of some of the modern paraphrase versions of the Bible, which can be quite misleading in some passages. For example, the opening words of John's Gospel in the living New Testament are very misleading. Churches have inherited much of what they believe from early post-biblical so-called church fathers and not from the Bible. Since the Protestant Reformation in 1517, Protestants seem to follow Luther and Calvin as new so-called church fathers. Luther's approach to the gospel is strangely unbiblical since he did not think that the historical Jesus preached the gospel. So Luther did not start with Jesus' own preaching of the gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He also thought that there was nothing Christian about the book of Revelation since, and I quote from Luther, Christ is not taught in it. Luther called the book of James, quote, a straw epistle. James, the half-brother of Jesus, disagreed with Luther's understanding about how to be right with God. Luther's idea was that the gospel is found in Romans and Galatians and 1 Peter, but not primarily in the gospel accounts of Jesus' preaching. Luther thought that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were relatively unimportant as far as the gospel is concerned. Calvin's God is so cruel that he predestined some human beings, even before they were born, to be tortured in hell forever. Calvin, who was well read in the Bible, also authorized the burning at the stake of a distinguished Bible scholar who challenged him on an important doctrine. Michael Servetus was burned at the stake in 1553 for a moving account of this terrible event. Read the book Out of the Flames by Lawrence and Nancy Goldstone. Killing others for any reason is utterly unlike anything advocated by Jesus, and killing another believer over a doctrine is really just murder, which the Bible forbids. Roman Catholics believe that the Pope is the current representative of Jesus, 
and what the Pope says officially from the chair, as the expression is, of his claimed divine authority cannot be wrong. He claims for himself infallibility. The Pope claims to be the unique and only genuine successor to the New Testament apostles. Church tradition can replace the Bible's teachings according to Roman Catholics. For instance, Catholics state that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was taken bodily to heaven. The Bible certainly never says any such thing about Mary. Queen Elizabeth II of England, when she recently opened a meeting of Church of England dignitaries, said that in a world filled with information, much of it without lasting value, quote, there is a renewed hunger for what endures and gives meaning, and at the heart of our faith stands the conviction that all people, irrespective of race, background, or circumstance, can find lasting significance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. End of quotation from Queen Elizabeth II. She did not, however, tell us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel about the kingdom. I propose that Christianity is to be built firstly on Jesus and that Jesus, without his teaching and preaching of the gospel, is not really Jesus at all. Jesus, in quotations, can be made the subject of all sorts of pious religious ideas and hopes. But the Jewish Jesus of history, the only Jesus that there is, now at the right hand of God, claimed to be the Jewish Christian Messiah or Christ and to have the secret of immortality. He preached the saving gospel message about the kingdom. So did the apostles after him. Jesus is by far the most challenging and gripping figure ever to have stepped the earth. As his contemporaries observed, no one ever taught like this. I echo the words of distinguished scholars of the Bible. I quote just one example among many. I think that their words should sound the alarm. Please read this quotation slowly. Quotation, neither Catholic nor Protestant theology is based on biblical theology. In each case, we have a domination of Christian theology by Greek thought. Pagan ideas have largely dominated so-called Christian thought. The immortality of the soul is not a biblical idea at all. That's from Professor Norman Snaith's book, The Distinctive Ideas of the Old Testament. If you do not understand the phrase immortality of the soul, please read on. I'm going to explain it later. It has to do with who we are as human beings and what our destiny is, what happens when we die. I wonder sometimes if Jesus would be welcome in our contemporary churches. The reader will have to decide. Jesus might well direct them back to his words and tell them to learn to, quote, worship God in spirit and truth. That's in John 4, verse 24, 
and not according to inaccurate church traditions. Many churchgoers have simply assumed that what they've learned about Jesus and the meaning of life in church is what Jesus would approve. My suggestion to the reader is that you do some serious investigation of the words of Jesus himself. It is always wise to go back to the original faith as Jesus believed and preached it.